probably is still a hundred thousand dollars upside down right here today. I still rent the thing out. I still lose about 700 bucks a month to rent the thing out. Welcome my friend to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. And before we get into the show in today's episode, which I know you'll get a lot of value from because we're, we stay out of all the fluffy stuff and we get straight into the good stuff of real estate investing advice. I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor and that's Patch of Land. Uh, they are making this show possible and they're making tons of flipping projects possible all across the country. If you don't know about Patch of Land, then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now. Um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower, um, you're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the, the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's, project's a success. Uh, they've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the, the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They've got answers too. All the answers to those, those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, and if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this is a show all about getting you your best real estate investing advice ever. Underline ever, capitalize it, all caps, with none of the fluff. I've interviewed, let's see, Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Jay Papazon, the co-bestselling author of many, many books with Gary Keller. And today, I am pleased to say I am about to speak to Josh Sterling. How you doing, Josh? Good. Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. And you're based in Detroit, Michigan, which is pretty close to where I was born, Flint, Michigan. And what's, you said you're in the suburbs of Detroit, right? Yeah. So not to be confused with Detroit itself. I personally stay out of uh, the city of Detroit. We're in a, a suburb of a, a group of cities um, known as the Downriver area. And it's kind of a different uh, economic set here. There's uh, just within the Southeast Michigan market, there's anything from $500 houses in Detroit to uh $5 million houses in some of the northern suburbs. And we're in a tier where where property values range anywhere from uh, the mid-80s to the 300000 mark. And we stay pretty pretty tight-knit geographical area down here. All right. Well, and he's very active in that market, in the Southeast Michigan market. He flips about 12 to 15 properties a year. He also runs a property management company. You can visit his company at Epic propertymanagement.com. He owns and manages 125 units and non-real estate related, but very interesting. He was an airline pilot for five years. Now he's got a Piper Saratoga that he flies all around 
the country and the world, apparently, for pleasure. So, Josh, with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners more about your background than what you're focused on? Sure, yeah. Started out, grew up in Lake Tahoe, California, kind of a small town. Uh, spent kind of my whole life wanting to get out of the small town. I didn't realize it was such a nice place until I moved away, I think as a lot of people would. Went to college like anybody else would right out of high school. I uh, was set to be an airline pilot. You know, I'd always heard, uh, go to college, get a degree, get a good job, buy a nice house for yourself, the standard advice. I went down that path, and I was fast forward about five years. I was completed school. I was an airline pilot. I thought I had it made. I had bought a place for myself in Florida, right about the peak of the market. And one day, I just kind of realized, man, I don't think I'm going about this right at all. I've got $175,000 in student loans. I'm not making the kind of money I thought I'd make at my job, as I'm sure a lot of people uh realize that after school. I've got this property I bought for my own personal residence that's now upside down because the market's crashing. And I just kind of had this realization back in, it was about 07, 08 time frame. Uh, I, maybe I had to try something else because the standard path is just not working. About that time, I really, the only, uh, the only thing that made sense to me was real estate. It just seemed like such a simple and straightforward path. You buy a property and, you know, you let let a tenant pay down your mortgage for you, and then eventually you own these properties. And I didn't even really understand what cash flow or any of the, the metrics were at that point, but it just made sense. So uh, about that time, my wife and I, or I guess fiance at the time, started seeing some of these amazing deals as the market was just free falling. And uh, we started picking up rental properties. It was just kind of one house, then another house, then another and it really grew to what's now 125 units we've done in about a six-year time frame. And, and I think we're growing pretty rapidly even going forward. You started picking up properties, you said rental properties, and you've got 125 units now. What's the largest unit? Right now, our largest property is a 53-unit apartment building that we purchased here just about two and a half months ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been going well. It was, uh, you know, needs a lot of work as a lot of them do, but uh, I think we're making some really good progress on it. Okay. And I want to ask about that here in a second and get into the details of that property. Sure. But you've got it 53 and then what's the next largest? We've also got a 24 unit apartment building, which was kind of my first attempt at multifamily. Okay. And are they both located in the Detroit area? Yeah, we're in the, the suburbs, yeah. I'll keep classifying it that way. Uh, the thing we own is within probably about a five-mile radius of my house that where I live in the suburbs of basically downriver. Okay, interesting. So you said you – where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to college at uh, a school called Embry-Riddle in Daytona Beach, Florida. It's a in Florida. kind of a smaller aeronautical school. All right. So you're from California. You went to school in Florida and now you're living in the suburbs of Detroit. I'm just trying to pinpoint. I know you're flying around in an airplane, so it's tough. You're like, well, you can't pinpoint me because I'm in in the air zooming around. (laughs) I'm just trying to understand where were you when you started buying these 125 units and were you buying them remotely or were you in the market because you said you're five miles away from all your properties now? Right. So the only way that someone comes to Michigan is for money or love, right? So <laughs> I, for both. I um, When I was at the airlines, living the airline life dream, as some people think it was, I was hopping around the country and I was out in uh, Las Vegas with a bunch of my other broke airline buddies, four to a room in the Tropicana. And uh, 
we, we were out there all the time. Just, you know, we could, we could fly around. That was the one benefit of it. And I ended up meeting a girl who's now my wife out there. And she happened to be from the area that we live in now, from the Downriver area. So as we were dating and, and going through life together, I started seeing at the same time that I saw the market crashing, the opportunity up here where she lived. And being that I had the opportunity to fly around the country and, and see all these different real estate markets and everything was in free fall, but nothing had the price to rent ratios like you were seeing up here. I mean, we were seeing houses at the bottom of the market for twenty-five dollars and $30,000 that I could go rent for $1,000 a month all day long. And that was just so unique. And, and now I know being more uh, involved in real estate that uh, really a lot of the Midwest is that way. But for me, it was just a huge opportunity. So as our relationship progressed and I could see this opportunity in the area she was from, she wanted to stay around this area. We ended up moving back here to Michigan through, there was a few bumps in the road. She moved to Florida for a couple of years for nursing school and I was commuting all over the country, but we ended up back here in Southeast Michigan, mainly because the real estate was just so attractive in this nice little niche market where she was from. Well, first off, uh, you you said the whole Midwest is like thirty k purchase price and rent for a well, thousand. I, I tell me where that is. <laughs> yeah, well, not anymore. I, I wish it was, but I, I mean, a lot of our properties we picked up starting out probably the first two or three years. You could basically blindfold and throw a dart at the MLS and buy a thirty thousand dollar property that would rent for a thousand a month. And, and I think these are pretty reasonable areas. I live in this area. You know, yes, it's not the. Uh, uh, maybe a class A top of the market neighborhood, but these are nice, safe areas that, you know, working class areas. Everyone around me is, is it's great people. It's safe. There's, there's no issues here. It's not like you picture in Detroit. I'm sure some, I have some buddies in California that think that we just buy these Detroit $500 houses. Not the case. The market has obviously just like everywhere else gone up. And now our typical purchase, we're trying to get we usually do a nice rehab on it, but we'll try to get all into the property for about seventy-five to eighty thousand, and it, and the rents have gone up a little bit. We'll maybe get uh, eleven or twelve hundred a month for that property. So it's not quite as good as it was, but there's still money to be made here. Oh yeah, it sure sounds like it. We, you've got the the fifty-three unit, the twenty-four unit, and the remaining forty-eight. I was plugging this in on a calculator. Yeah. Uh, the remain the remaining forty-eight. How is that made up? It's almost all single families. We do have a one duplex in there and one four unit. The rest would be single families. Okay, so you've got almost all single families, and you said you started this about six years ago. Yeah. How are you buying? Are you full-time real estate, or do you still have an airline job? Well, I left the airlines about five years ago, right about at the, the epiphany I had with all this uh, need to make a change mentality. So I left the airlines. I took a job as an air traffic controller, which was a lot better salary, a lot more stable schedule. And that's what I still do to this day. So I actually still have a full-time job with all of these uh, units. The job right now is more of a strategic thing for me. It really, really helps to get some of this bank finance we're getting when you have a nice W-2 income on the side. So for now, I'm, I'm using it kind of as a tool to, uh, to grow real estate. Okay. One of the questions was the financing questions, and I didn't know that, that air traffic controllers make more than the airline pilots. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm pretty open and honest about all this. I think uh, it helps everybody to know the truth. So yeah, as an airline pilot, I was probably making $30,000 the year I left there. Five years in, mostly the instability of the industry, it's hard to get to the top. So I had actually gone downhill in the five years I was there just being at the wrong companies. And air traffic controllers, you can easily make 150000 a year. So it's quite a bit difference. <laughs> Did you just say airline pilots make 30,000 30? 
literally, if you're a regional airline pilot, and uh, unfortunately, I, I was with a couple of companies that weren't doing too well throughout the financial crisis, and so it, the most I made as an airline pilot was about 60 a year, and the least I made was my last company I was with. I was flying a 90-seat jet around the country, and I was making $30,000 a year. Holy cow. At that point, you need tips. It's tough, yeah. <laughs> you need to have a little bucket, you know, pilot working for tips. That's one reason why I hear people come to me and tell me they want to get into real estate. They just don't have the money to get started. And I know that I had five houses when I was making 30 grand a year. So, yeah. And I, you know, a bunch of student loans and upside down condo. So you pretty much, I feel like I had about the worst possible starting block here. And, and if we're able to make this happen, somebody that makes a regular decent income and doesn't start in the hole like I did, if I can help somebody to, to maybe not get in that hole um, up front, you have such a better opportunity. I want to take this conversation in two very quick directions. The first direction is going to be, how did you climb out of that hole making 30,000 and get the, I believe you said five, first five properties, maybe I I misheard you. And then the second direction I want to take it is uh, learning about your 53 unit that you just purchased two and a half months ago. So let's go with the first direction first. What's the deal with this, you know, 30K income and then buying five properties? How'd that happen? Okay. So I'm making next to nothing at the airlines. I'm I'm obviously in a huge hole here and I've done everything, basically what I've been told to do, the right way to do it. I had really nothing to lose at that point. So I started going out and applying for bank loans for just like a conventional mortgage, like anybody for these properties. I'm getting turned down left and right. Nobody's going to lend to me the peak of the financial crisis. I'm making no money. I've got all this debt. I've got negative equity. So I started buying stuff on 0% credit cards. I, I really felt like I know this opportunity is, it has potential. Nobody's going to give me a loan. I'm going to do it anyways. So we, we would strum up money however we could get it, whether that was saving. We were living extremely cheap, well below our means, saving a few grand here and there um, out of that salary. My wife was in nursing school at the time. So she wasn't bringing in a lot of income. Zero percent credit cards. You could buy a house for twenty five grand. So if you can get fifteen twenty of that on a zero percent credit card and have a year to pay it back, that's one option we did. I mean, we took a lot of. I guess there was a lot of risk looking back getting started, but I had really no other choice, no other way to get into it. And I, on the day I started my my current job, which the salary progressed to a, a respectable salary, I already had five properties going at the airline pilot rates. So. That's uh, the way we built it up. And once we started building some uh, momentum and, and some cash flow, it became easier and easier to get bank loans. Still, I can't, I, even to this day, I have a hard time getting a conventional mortgage, but uh, we use a local portfolio lenders as most do. And I've got uh, now three or four different banks that we can go to and get four and a half percent blanket loans uh, pretty much all, all day long. With the 0% credit cards, that allows you to charge, but how do you get the actual cash? No, what we were doing was a pretty common technique called a balance transfer. So we do a 0% balance transfer into a checking account. Uh, a lot of them actually nowadays, they'll send you just checks. You just write a check to yourself and it's 0% rate for 12 to 18 months. And it's very risky if you don't have a plan to pay back that money because then you're paying 15% plus rates. But that, that was a way to put some cash in the checking account and then you can therefore buy a property with that. Again, with the properties being cheaper at the time and my appetite for risk was a little bit more than it was the way we got going. All right. Now let's talk about your 53 unit that you closed on two and a half months ago. Can you just tell us the numbers behind it? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. The building is uh, for the area. It's a newer construction. It was built in uh, 1990. The same person had built it and owned it for the past 25 years. 
and it had gone into a little bit of a state of disrepair, needed a parking lot, needs roofs, uh, needed some common area upgrades, carpeting, laundry room type of stuff. We ended up settling on, uh, after some negotiation with repairs, settling on, settling on a price of uh, $1.65 million. Of that, I, I bought it strictly with what I call conventional financing, but went to a portfolio lender. They financed 80%. I put the 20% down, and then we closed on the purchase. And I got that 20% down payment from the equity and some of my single-family rentals that have been appreciating over the last few years. How did you get that equity and turn it into dollars? The same method we've actually used from about the fifth or so, maybe the sixth house, we started going to these blanket, I call them blanket loans, but you go to a local portfolio lender and they're, they're all over the place now. It's a little bit harder to find back in the 09 timeframe when I started. But we go to a portfolio lender, we group together a package of, I've done as little as four and as many as 15 at a time, group together our single family houses and they'll put a first position note on each one of those properties and give us a, a lump sum blanket loan on the rest with the equity. Got it. And essentially it's a, it would be a, a big cash out refinance on multiple properties. Yeah. It's, we're always doing cash out refinance and it's convent, it's standard for what I around here. It's standard commercial rate. So we're typically looking at a, a five year balloon with 20 year amortization on these loans. And we're getting notes lately in the four and a half percent range. So it's really, really inexpensive money for the time being. And what's your exit once you have that loan in five years? What do you plan on doing? There's a couple options. Obviously, the best option is to uh, simply refinance and extend those loans. A lot of the reasons there's a five-year balloon on the commercial financing is because the, the smaller banks and credit unions that give these notes to you are not able to take the interest rate risk and hold this note for 20 plus years. The only person that's silly enough to guarantee interest rate for 20 plus years is the federal government, I think. So we, um, our, our ideal plan is to refinance at hopefully not too much of a higher interest rate. Our second strategy is to use equity and other properties to pay down the notes after five years. And our final fallback strategy is if we have to, we'll liquidate some of the uh, properties to in order to pay off those notes, which hopefully it doesn't come to that. I like to keep as many of our properties as we can. Josh, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh, my best ever. Well, I think, you know, the most common question I get from people starting out is just wanting to get into this game. It's, you know, once I don't talk to many people that are at step 97 wanting to get to step 100. I talk to a lot of people that are at (laughs) step two wanting to get to step three and four. And how you get there is is just like Monopoly. You got to start out, you've got to buy a house, you've got to buy the second house, the third house, and get this this ball rolling. I think that's where most people struggle. And the way that I did that is, is we live way below our means. Even making $30,000 a year with a wife in nursing school, we were living on less than that. So we could at least save some money. That's, so my, my pinpoint advice would be you've got to, people have got to live below their means and, and reinvest that difference, whatever that may be, however small that may be. Most people make a little bit more money than I was making then and hopefully have a little bit less debt than I was making then. So it should be doable. And I think it's just challenging the status quo and, and living below your means so you can invest that difference as aggressively as possible. How do you have a great relationship with your, she's your wife now, right? Yes. Five years last week, actually. Oh, wow. Congratulations on the anniversary. Living below your means at 30000 At the time, I don't know if she was your wife or fiance, but you, you were together nonetheless. Absolutely. And what do you do on the weekends? Like, how do you keep things fresh? How do you, you know, continue to both be aligned on, hey, 
you're in nursing school. I know I'm making, I'm bringing in the big bucks of 30K, but we can't spend it all because we've got a longer term vision that's going to come to fruition later down the line. Like, how do you keep things so lively between you two? You know, I mean, now, granted, I'm flying around a nice brand new airplane that we bought now. I've scaled, our lifestyle has scaled drastically as a, a ratio of our passive income now, but it wasn't like that for quite a quite a while and still we live well below our means. I you know, we strive to live on twenty five to thirty percent of our of our net income every month, which is quite a bit less than I think uh, is common pra- common practice. The way we do it is is kinda you, you've heard probably the Dave Ramsey quote that if you live like no one else right now, for a few years you can live like no one else forever. And so it's it's kinda keeping your eye on the prize and looking at the big picture that that we we've, we've known we've talked about from the beginning. The goal is to get to a point where where we have the freedom and the, the passive income to do what we want to do and not be burdened by a job. And that's going to take some time and some sacrifice. Uh, she's been an awesome supporter. She's been great. She's been on board with everything we've done um, and, and really just keeping a common goal of that. And so what do you, what were you doing to do things out of the house? Were you, did you come up with something creative that you'd always do or did you two just have a lot of Netflix nights? You know what? Yeah, we don't even have, even right now today, I don't have cable. I mean, I, we, we have some very, uh, we work a lot. We still do. My wife still works full-time as a nurse. Uh, I work at least full-time, if not overtime, at, at, as an air traffic controller. We run all these properties. So we keep really, really busy because the eye is still on the prize down the road. There's still, I think, a lot more growth to be had. But we do also like to take time off together and I think recharge the batteries. So, in the, you know, this summer alone, we've been to... We've been to Myrtle Beach. We've been to Tennessee for a week. We've been to, we're setting up for a trip to the Bahamas to hop around the islands for two weeks. So we, it's work hard, play hard. And when we didn't have the funds coming in, there's, you know, you take a walk, you enjoy the beach. None of these things have to cost a lot of money. I think where people get in trouble, most people that I talk to every day is they think they need to live in that three, $400,000 house and drive that brand new car every year. People could go a long way to, look over some of the Dave Ramsey or some of the Mr. Money mustache type uh, lifestyle adjustment and, and realize you, you really don't need a ton of money to be happy, I don't think. Agreed. Yeah, there's a documentary I've mentioned a couple times on the show called Happy mm-hmm. on Netflix. And I, yeah. I, yeah, and I don't watch a lot of TV, actually any TV really, unless Texas Tech football is playing. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, one, the one thing they mention is there's a difference in happiness when you get wages up to 50,000 because there are certain needs that are met when you reach 50,000. But once you reach 50, there's no difference in happiness. They've done a study between 50 and 5 million. It's really a matter of what you do, what you focus on, what you do with your time and what you focus on and the emotions that you feel and you choose to feel. Right. I can absolutely see that. All right. We got to do a very quick lightning round. You ready for it? All right, let's go. First, a quick word from our best ever partners crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's p-a-t-c-h-o-f-l-a-n-d.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, like me, I suspect you're also a student of the real estate game. because I, I suspect that because you're listening to the podcast and um, you're looking for uh, real estate investing advice to help you move your business forward. 
And if you check out episode 188, if you haven't already, it's with uh, my friend Joe Stampone. And Joe has, he, he manages over $500 million of properties, and he's done over 36 transactions. Joe knows his stuff. And he has a website called A Student of the Real Estate Game. And if you go there, uh, so go to a student of the real estate game.com forward slash best ever, and you'll receive all sorts of cool content that he's aggregated just for you um, and the best ever community. He, he has information from top resources on learning to model real estate deals to uh, 68 challenges of starting and growing a real estate firm. Um, he's got uh, t- a blog titled What We Learned Over Four Years of Running Our Own Real Estate Investment Firm. All sorts of good stuff. And it's, it's a non-sales environment. He just wants to give good information and um, share it from all the things that he's learned. I promise you, you're going to get a lot out of it. I do. I'm, I'm reading every one of these blog posts, and I'm learning something from each one of them. Go check it out, a student of the real estate game.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? I'll go with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. I know he was on the Best Ever podcast, and uh, it's the first book I read that decouples uh, the employee mindset, the uh, time for dollars. Best ever personal growth experience, and what did you learn from it? Well, you know, personal growth, I think uh, there's a there's a quote out there, I didn't invent this, but it says that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So personal growth for me, I'm constantly out trying to network, trying to trying to find people that are more active in real estate uh, than I am and trying to see where I can take this because the more time you can spend with people like that, the more you, you pick up things and you end up being like them. Best ever deal you've done? And my 24 unit that I bought uh, prior to this 53, turned out to be, looking back, an excellent deal. I was terrified to get into the deal. I bought it at 42% occupancy. The sellers were about to lose it for back taxes. It was it was in terrible shape, but going forward, um, in about 14 months, we had more than doubled the value of that building. We were able to pull some cash out of it. So looking back, it was a great deal. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? Right now, I'm really working towards uh, getting away from using my own funds and my, my own uh, bank relationships. and. I think the next step is syndicating these deals, as I know you're big on, and I've worked, I'm looking forward to uh, where we can take this, some of the larger deals coming forward with syndication. Best ever way you like to give back? You know, I didn't have any help or really any guidance starting out. I've made some of the silliest mistakes, some of the things that if I would have just had a, a mentor, even that knew a little bit about real estate to help me out, it would have put me light years ahead. So I enjoy going out to these RIAs, and, and you can the guy that's active that's actually going to take action and do something they stand out pretty easily and I love finding those people talking with them helping them through some of the the basic mistakes that I made so they don't have to reinvent the wheel what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate well I bought a condo in uh, Florida back in 07 that probably is still a hundred thousand dollars upside down right here today I still rent the thing out I still lose about 700 bucks a month to rent the thing out so it's my reminder that you can't just go buy anything. And what's the best ever place to reach you? You can reach me via email at josh at epicpropertymanagement.com or on our website, epicpropertymanagement.com via the contact form. 
Josh, thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice. I mean, this is a show about leverage and calculated risk and living below your means for sure. It's really interesting to hear how you were a pilot making 30 to 60K flying for regional airline and buying properties with 0% credit cards using that transfer into the checking account, buying your first five properties that way and then looking at other ways you know, up to where you are now buying re- most recently the 53 unit where you used 80% financing and got 20% down payment and that 20% money came from the appreciation and the equity that you got from your homes where you basically put them in a, a blanket loan with a portfolio lender and then you did a cash out refinance and put in, basically put a new loan on a lot of different houses and got some money back out and used that. Really interesting how you've used leverage to scale your, your business and then talking through your, you know, your, your Florida mistake that still serves as a reminder when to buy and what to buy and kind of how to approach the, the cash flow. You said you, know, you were blown away by the, the $30,000 purchase price and rents being close to or at 1000 a month at the time when you're buying and, and still in, in your area. So thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your advice. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. It was great.